You know, they make no doubt about it that that there is a misconception of what what it means to be a follower of Yahweh God, our Savior Jesus Christ. There is such a, a perception that you be you're weak and you have the backbone of a wet noodle or or something like that. That that to be a Christian is to be a, a, a wimp uh, almost. Well, I can say it with all my heart that to be a Christian, the Christian faith isn't for wimps. It's for warriors. And that's really what the Christian faith is about. And it is about being a warrior uh, for what God has called us to. And, and I think these examples across the front, and as they live out their life, and they deal with their ups and downs, and they deal with their emotions, and they deal with the the history, and they deal with wounds, and they deal with hang-ups, and they deal with this kind of stuff, that it's amazing to see that God gives them strength in the midst of that battle. Well, we are in a process of studying through the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 14 is where we'll be today. We've skipped over a lot of verses, and just to kind of give you a brief uh, summation is basically they have crossed the Jordan River. The Jordan River has been a, a, a major obstacle in front of them. They have crossed it and now they are conquering the promised land. They're taking the land that God has given to them. But I I hope that we understand that as we cross, as we go forward, there will be tremendous amount of energy and commitment and sacrifice that's required of us. But it is not about simply expanding our campus, expanding our, our touches so that we can have a bigger audience. It's not that at all. It's about having a bigger army. It's not about the audience, it's about the army. And if we are not raising up warriors in this, in this pursuit of our promised land, our future destiny, then I think it is uh, it's absolutely a waste of time and materials and obviously resources uh, that we, we need to be about what we're about. And that's being a warrior for the cause that Christ has called us to be about. His mission, His aim, His future is where we're going. I think, though, that, again, we have so domesticated the Christian faith we have so almost emasculated the Christian faith that it's lost a lot of its, its power, its courage and strength that Joshua was told to be in the very first chapter and throughout. I, I like what Mark Twain said, and John Eldridge in his book, uh, Wild at Heart, makes this quote from Mark Twain. He says this, he says, There comes a time in every rightly constructed boy's life when he has a raging desire to go somewhere to dig for hidden treasure. You think about your children, and I think about my kids digging in the yard in Africa, uh, this adventuresome lifestyle as it was unto itself, but yet they wanted to dig and find that buried treasure in our sand backyard. The problem is, is that we train ourselves to grow out of that, that adventuresomeness, that courageous spirit, and we start looking for safety. We start trying to reduce risk. And Twain goes on to say that, that most men die at 27 but we don't bury them till 72. We lose that adventure. We lose that digging for buried treasure. We lose that taking the promised land, crossing the Jordan River. We lose it because it's risky. It's dangerous. There's unknown. There's unfamiliar. It creates in us uh, almost a disequilibrium inside of our spirits that causes us to, again, retreat into safety. Well, I think the way Seth Godin says it, said safe is risky. I think if you stay on the safe side, you are living a very risky uh, life unto itself. Helen Keller, deaf, dumb, blind, but an amazingly beautiful woman of the faith said it like this, security is mostly superstition. It does 
exists. It, it does exist in nature. Life is either it doesn't. Excuse me, it should be mistyped. Doesn't exist in nature. Life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing. It is an adventure. Now, to what degree are you living an adventure in your day-to-day life? I mean, really living out an un. Some, I'm not saying randomly, I'm not saying uncalculated, but to what degree is there really risk in our lives? Because we are truly trained to to risk manage everything out and to go only with the safe routes and don't rock the boat and don't stir the waters. But I think if you look at the life of Christ, he was constantly pushing forward. He was constantly asking more of his followers. He did not back off. He did not once he got a following. He did not once he had 5,000 people eating from his hands and listening to his words back off. But he actually pressed forward. He actually asked more of them. He makes this statement. He said, come and die. He said, come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, let the dead bury the dead. But Jesus goes on and says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever does, whoever loses his life, for me, will find it. There's a risk there. There's a giving up. There's a sacrifice. There's an there's a element there that should cause some adrenaline to pump through your veins, in the faith at least. And you, then you look at the disciples and how they followed to the death, many of them. I hope you have your Bibles in, in, in Joshua chapter 14 as we look at a story today, kind of picking up where we, where we actually left off maybe with a man that doesn't get quite the notoriety of a Joshua. But yet I would say, I would dare say, he deserves the same notoriety. So you pick your poison. You want to be a Joshua, you want to be a Caleb, either way it's a win. I hope in the next decade of Grace Point Church you will be a Joshua, you will be a Caleb. We love the name so much, we have our promised land kids. We have Joshua and Caleb as our boys, and they crossed over the Jordan River, and Jordan is our girl. So that's our promised land children. And as you think about Caleb, though, who is Caleb? Caleb in this passage at chapter 14 of Joshua is 85 years of age. He's an older man, all right? He's going to give us a new blueprint for geriatric care, okay? Just wait. When you unpack chapter 14 in the Caleb story, you'll see that geriatric has a whole new meaning when it comes to life. Forty years, 45 years to be exact, prior to this, he and Joshua were the only two of the 12 spies that went into the promised land to spy out the land. You remember a few weeks back I preached a message on that, shared a message uh, on that from the book of Numbers. Go back and listen to it. It would be worth it to connect, help connect the dots. They come back from the promised land scouting trip and they find that 10 of the 12 had fear. They were shaking in their sandals and they backed off. There was criticism, there was murmuring, there was all that kind of stuff, just kind of brewing among the ten. And they said, no, 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 we can't go in there. We can't go in. We've got to go back. We've got to get a new leader. Moses has failed us. And Joshua and Caleb, their skin crawled. They were so ready. They knew God could do it. They didn't know how God was going to do it. They didn't know all the how, but they knew God would because God was calling them. So much of the time we don't go to the how, or we don't go to the where he's leading us until we know the how. And sometimes that's a bit scary when you look at it from a Joshua and Caleb story because they didn't know the how. They just knew where. God was leading them here. We're going there. We'll let God work on the details as we unpack this. So they go on in. They promise land. They come out. Well, as you know the story, 40 years they wonder, and Joshua and Caleb had to wonder with them. 
They had to live in the consequences of the faithless people of Israel. And as they lived out there, God did promise those two men, Joshua and Caleb, you will see the promised land. You will go in. You have the faith and you will be able to go in to where you have seen and where your foot has touched, you will be able to go. So we come to the guy named Caleb. Caleb, who is who is Caleb? He is this Kenizzite. He is, his dad is uh, 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 Jephunneh. And as you come to the story and you, and you start unpacking it, you start seeing how, how Caleb lives out this amazing, awesome faith. And so Joshua chapter 14, it's not very many verses. I want to read these together and hopefully you can get the context of where we're at today. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses. You know what the Lord has said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. That was back, remembering back 45 years ago. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me, to Kadesh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Notice the effect of the ten on all the people. It's amazing how ten people can melt the hearts, can wane the faith, can put out the fire of thousands of people. Just ten. Just ten. That's all it took. And then all of a sudden they start drawing within, yet, Caleb said, yet I, holy, and every time you see the word holy, underscore that holy followed the Lord, my God. And Moses swore on the day, saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have holy followed the Lord. There it is again, holy followed the Lord, my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, for 45 years since the time the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I, uh, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as, as in the day of Moses sent me. My strength now is, my, is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Now listen, that is a beautiful picture. He said, listen, I was 40 and I was strong and courageous and I'm 85 and I'm just as strong. I can whip them boys uh, just like I, I could when I was 40. Verse 12. And now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day for year, you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. And it, was, it, it, was, and it may be that the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out just as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, to this day because, again, what does it say? Read it with me. He wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. 
I tell you, we can unpack a passage of Scripture here in a powerful way. And we can look at an 85-year-old geriatric man who couldn't spell geriatrics, who didn't know he was supposed to be looking for the slow lane, who didn't know he was supposed to be drinking insure, who didn't know he was supposed to be slowing up. This was a man who was setting a pace. This man had excuses written all over his body. He had every reason to bail, but he didn't bail. He was very much a part of the game. He was very much in the game. Now, again, you may have your set of excuses, and I may have my set of excuses, and we may have excuses that run the gamut, but let us put all of our excuses on the table today for why or why not we might be a Caleb or a Joshua into the future. And let's put them on the table, and let's see if it measures up to to, to an excuse like Joshua's. And let's ask ourselves, do I have the faith of a Caleb and of a Joshua? Do I have the courage of a, of a Joshua and a Caleb? Do I have the strength of a Joshua and a Caleb to do what they did? And I think we have to ask ourselves some real heart-wrenching questions. Some questions that I think are, are certainly portrayed in the story of Caleb. And we have to ask ourselves these same questions. And here they are, three questions. Write them down. Ask yourself these. Now, you'll not ask them in this room exactly. Now, God may make it explicitly clear to you in this room, as soon as I ask this question, you may immediately get your answer. You may go home today, and you may spend the rest of this week, and you may be asking yourself these questions day after day for the rest of this week, and you should. The very first question is, how big is your God? How big is your God? How big is your God? Notice I didn't say how big is God, how big is your God, how big is your perception of God, how big is your knowledge of God. Sometimes I think we shrink God down in in size because we don't allow Him to stretch us. He's trying to make us understand Him better and therefore stretch us and therefore make of us something, but because we resist the stretching and the pulling and the tugging and the remolding and the reshaping that He's wanting to do in us, therefore God remains small because He's small in us. So how big is your God? And I want us to understand from the, from the story of Caleb that God was huge. God was really big. God was the central figure of Caleb's life. Caleb wouldn't do anything without God. But he could do everything with God as well. And you look at the story and you just find again and again references back to the Lord, back to the Lord. This was not some, some macho, testosterone-filled 85-year-old Caleb who's standing at the edge of his cane doing mind-over-matter exercises. This is a man who's resting on God, not on himself. This is not some secular humanism here. This is a man that keeps referring again and again and again back to the Lord And you've got to understand that word Lord, it is the boss. It is the word that defines who he is in his life, not just who he is in the abstract. Sometimes we keep God in the abstract and we don't bring him in personally to us. When you call him Lord, you're saying you're my master. You're You're my leader. I'm going with you. Now notice this passage. Look at verse 6 whenever he's recounting the story. He says, you know what, what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. He said, God spoke to Moses. Well, I'm still recalling the very words. 
that Moses relayed down to us about you and me, about Joshua and Caleb. He said, I'm recalling those words. And now skip down to verse 10. In verse 10 again, he said, he says, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. He's recalling something that God said 45 years ago. Sometimes I forget what God said 45 minutes ago. In fact, some of us will walk out of this room today and God will speak deep into us. But we will rationalize it between here and the car. And by the time we get home, we will have forgotten it. And what Moses is doing, excuse me, what Caleb is doing is he's recalling what his Lord, what his master has said to him 45 years ago. Do you see the impact? Do you see the close, tight-knit relationship here that's being played out? Now skip down to verse 12 again. Verse 12, it says, So now give me this hill country which the Lord spoke on that day for you, heard on that day how the Anakim uh, uh, were there. And he goes on. But notice again, he refers back to what the Lord said. Folks, I, I just want to bring us in today, and I just want to say, what has God been saying to you? Have you been listening? Have you been zeroing in? Have you been drilling down? Caleb heard God's voice. And it's beautiful because the Scripture talks about in John chapter 10, my sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice, and they follow me. See, I think with a litmus test of a follower of Christ, John 8 refers to this. You don't hear God because you don't belong to God. See, a litmus test for us today is are we hearing God? Are we listening to God? Are we pulling away the filters, cleaning up the clutter? Are we really zeroing in on what He's saying to us? He believed what God said. He said, listen, this is, we've got this land. And then He obeys God. He, he, he steps right into it. He hears, he believes in verse 10, and he follows in verse 12. It took him 45 years to be able to take Anakim. It took him 45 years to be able to take those 45, fortified cities. It took him 45 years, but he was still recalling as if it was yesterday, God speaking to him. Folks, that's determination. That's perseverance. That's commitment. Because he had a deep, Belief in the Lord God, Yahweh God, and he wasn't backing off of that. I like what Alan Redpath said. He said, the majority measure the giants against their own strength. Caleb and Joshua measured the giants against God. The majority tremble. The two triumph. The majority had great giants, but little God. Caleb had great God and little giants. Do you catch it? There's a God factor that must be in our life. This is triangle that must be there. It's God, it's myself and giants. It's myself, it's ourselves and, and the work that's going on. It's, it's ourselves and the expansion that we're going into. Yes, if it's just that one straight line, it's daunting. It's impenetrable. But whenever we, we, we bring God into the equation, And now God fits into the picture. It's now not just looking at my circumstances. It's listening to God. And God, you've been working. And we talked about that last week. God, you've been doing this. And that's my invitation to join you here. So here we go. Whenever our circumstances become greater than our God, then we're in trouble. 
God puts us, listen, He doesn't put us in safety and security and comfort. You show me that narrative in this book. Show me the narrative where God takes His people and puts them in safety and comfort and security. He puts them in disequilibrium. He puts them in times of tension. He puts them in times of faith. He puts them in times even when they're alone. And they have to figure it out and depend on Him. It is not easy. But it's an adventure. I like the way G.K. Chesterton said it. An evidence is only, uh, excuse me, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. An inconvenience is an adventure wrongly considered. Listen, is this an inconvenience that we're expanding? You better get your bottom dollar. It's an inconvenience on my budget. It's an inconvenience in my life. It's an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience. Or is it an adventure? Is God calling me outside of my comfort zone? Is God calling me to deal with a giant in the land? Is God calling us to go and to experience God at a level that we've never experienced Him before because we have been living in comfort, safety, security? And that's been our aim. I think we need to look deeply into our hearts and lives because God is calling us to be. Examine Him. To understand Him and refer to Him continually as we have our discussions. The Lord has said. The Lord is doing. I will go. I will be a part of it. That's what you see when you look at the book of Joshua. You see an amazing picture. Robert Dick Wilson, a great theologian of the Old Testament at Princeton Seminary. The beginning of the century would go around to his students and listen to them when they would come back and speak in chapel. But he would only listen to them once. He wouldn't listen to them twice or three times or four times. He would come when they would come back and speak in the chapel. And he would listen. And they would ask, be asked many times by his students, why didn't you come back the second time? You were there the first time. And you know, they were almost disappointed you know, that maybe I bombed and the professor didn't like me or something like that. And Robert Dick Wilson would say something like this. He said, when my boys come back, I go to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what kind of ministry they will have. What kind of ministers they will be? What kind of church are we going to be? What kind of follower of Christ will you? Are you a big godder or a little godder? Because Joshua certainly had all the reasons in the world to be a little godder at this point. But he absolutely had a humongous view of God. And even at 85, and I have to say he had some aches and pains. That's just the nature of the body. He had as many excuses. That's just the nature of who he was as a patriarch. He could have sent anybody else there, but he didn't. Because he had a big God and he was going to follow the big God following after big big plans. First question, how big is your God? Second question, how challenging is my adventure? The adventure that God's calling you to, the adventure that God is calling us to. Are we, are we really ready to step up to this? And again, I, I pointed out that he was 85 years old and had every excuse as a patriarch in the, in the, in, in the people of Israel to step down. But he didn't. But I don't want you to even miss that. I mean, he goes further. He could have been the he could have been the token warrior. Okay, he could have been the the honored warrior, and just been been kind of set the uh, an example of somebody who was before and now he's in the after. But you really don't need to pick up a spear. But I want you to notice the adventure that this man Caleb is willing to live. 
whenever you go on and you just kind of unpack this a little bit further, you kind of have to understand, where does he want to go? He could have chosen anywhere. I mean, he's a patriarch. Joshua would have given it to him. They were brothers in, in very real sense, emotional sense in so many other ways. He could have said, give me the Jordan River. You know, I want that, that fertile land down there. I want that land where I can take the waters of the Jordan and throw it up on my garden, and I will have the most fertile land on earth. And by the way, Israel, second leading industry right behind tourism is their agriculture. So it's a very fertile land. He could have gone to the, to the riverbeds, and he could have said, I want that land. He could have gone up to the, to the Sea of Galilee, that freshwater sea that's plentiful with fish. And he could have said, I want to have that land. I want to be there so that I can draw the fish out and have all the fish I want for the rest of my life. He, said, he could have said, give me, give me a land by the Mediterranean. Give me, give me an oceanfront, beachfront home. Let me have that land. That's where I want. Notice the adventure, the spirit behind Caleb. He didn't ask for the Jordan. He didn't ask for the Sea of Galilee. He didn't ask for a beachfront house in the Mediterranean. As an 85-year-old man, he could have done any of that. But what does he say? He said, give me the hill. Give me the hill. Give me the rocky ground. Give me the, the land that's difficult. Let me climb up against the enemy. Because I'm just as strong now as I've ever been. I, I want the hill country where Anakim's people live. Now many scholars believe that the Anakim people were the people that were the giants in the land. Do you hear that? He not only doesn't want the fertile land, the easy land, the, the land with plentiful food and water. He, he wants the rocky land. He wants the mountainous land. He wants the hill country. He wants Anakim's. Do you understand? He's asking... He's actually biting off a whole lot here. But not only that, not only the Anakims, but they were, lived in fortified cities. He was literally stacking the odds against God. He was stacking the odds against himself. Nobody would say an 85-year-old man will choose the hill, will choose Anakims, will choose a fortified cities. And you go back and you study ancient history. You, you watch the 81, 1981 movie Masada, and you find about how that's how they protected themselves, on the hills. They built walls, and nobody could get them because they could always see them, and they could spear them, or they could do whatever they needed to do. It was one of the greatest defense mechanisms, but yet Caleb never lost his adventure. If you don't get anything out of this, ask your faith, where is my adventure? Am I lost in the paralysis of analysis? Am I lost in some, some weak, need kind of faith? Am I lost and fearful to take the hill? Do I just want the fertile lands, the easy lands? I love the spirit of this man. I love the unquenchable desire for adventure of this man. And again, if I can continue to refer us back to experiencing God and Henry Blackaby as I did last week, because I'm filtering this whole process for myself through the, through the filters of that study. And it's not just Blackaby and not just the book. He brings Scripture so much into light on, on it all. But he brings us, God brings us to these crises of belief. This, this point of time whenever the circumstances look greater than our resources. When the circumstances look greater than our abilities. And God puts us in those situations. That's the adventure of the faith. Where's your adventure? 
pulling apart the layers of that this week. I kind of did some rereading of that. This is, these are the qualities of a crisis of belief. It's an encounter with God that requires faith. It's an encounter with God that's God-sized. Go ahead, guys, roll those slides. It's an encounter with God that is God-sized. What we, what we do in response to God's revelation reveals what you believe about God. All right? What do you believe about Him? Because what He shows you in this moment is really what you believe about Him. That's number three, guys. Number four. Here we go. True faith requires action. When you break down the crisis of belief, I ask, where are you in that crisis? Right now, we as a church, we're at a point where next Sunday, we're going to be challenged. And I'm challenging you right now because this is the week that you need to go home and really sort this out in your own heart. Where are you into our future? Because it's going to be an adventure. But it's not going to be an adventure just collectively. It's going to be an adventure family by family. It's not just going to be an adventure family by family. It's going to be an adventure person by person. Where we all come. And this is just where our church is. As we all come, are we willing to take the hill or do we just want the fertile lands in the valley that we could take really easy? We want the hill where Anakim is in the fortified city. C.S. Lewis said it like this, but never, we, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death for you. Do you really believe this? Then you'll be willing to put something on, on the line. I like what Jack London said. He said, I would rather be ashes than dust. I would, I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy, permanent planet. The proper function of a man is to live, not exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. One of our resources is time. One of our resources are the treasures that God gives us. I don't merely want to exist with my treasures. I don't merely want to exist with my time. I don't even exist with my talents. I want them to be used in an adventuresome way, taking hills and anicums and fortified cities. That's what I want, and I hope that's what you want to be a Caleb. How big is your God? How big is your adventure? Third question. How devoted to God's adventure am I? God's got an adventure for us, and He's calling us to it. And I just want to know how devoted are we, because I I can tell you this, that, you know, yesterday's faith moved, moves mean nothing to us as we rise into tomorrow. It it has nothing. You know, you might have been really great. Listen, you may have been a Moses for us in the first decade. Listen to this. I'm a Moses. I was a part of the first decade. I was a part of that first decade that started the church. So how how is Mike McDaniel in the second decade going to rise up to be a Joshua? Because if you look at Caleb, Caleb never wavered. There's one thing about Caleb that you absolutely have to draw the, the, the timeline. And you have to put over it this, one word, consistency. 
Because when you look back 40 years ago, he consistently fully followed the Lord. When you look now 45 years ahead, he consistently is following fully the Lord. Don't take my word for it. You just underscored the verses there. When he goes back in verse 8 and he talks about how he wholly followed the Lord. He wholly followed the Lord. Back, remember those days, Moses, Mo, when we were back there, man, we were, I was wholly in the game. Following the Lord. And you step up over to verse, uh, verse 9 and again he says, because you have wholly followed the Lord. And then you, you, you go on down in and, and, and verse 14, and, and Joshua just says it, man, because you're wholly following the Lord again and again and again. He doesn't waver. He's at 85 years of age. He's over the hill. No, he's looking to take the hill. He has every reason to rock back in his chair. Instead, he's leaning forward. He's saying, I want the hill, God, because you're in the hill. And he gives a total credit to God when he said, Joshua blessed him, and, and he said, to the Lord will give this hill to me. This is, this is something God is going to give to me. It's not something that I'm just going to do on my own. Let me tell you this as a family, and I just want to be transparent to you and and I know the right hand should know what the left hand's doing. I'm not all about that. But now hang on to this. I need to set a face. I need to set a bar. And maybe you succeed the bar. Go for it. Is that my family is very committed to our future. We're committed to it. Not just skin in the game, but money from the bank in the game as well. Last time whenever we did this process, and if you've been a part of our home fellowship groups and you haven't, I hope you'll sign up today. And be a part of one this next week. we got them all going on this next week. But you've heard me say that we, we committed the last go-round to a double tithe. That's just where we were. Math is pretty difficult for me, but I understand percents. 10% plus 10%, that's 20%. And God gave us a challenge last time to continue our 10% giving to the ministry budget of the church because it's about the ministry that we're going to be about. We can't stop giving to the ministry budget of the church. That's the tithe. But our offerings... What God was challenged us to give over and above was a double tithe. I can just tell you today that Lori and I are committing over a double tithe this next go-round. Why? Because we are so much even more in this game. Yes, we're not 45 years separated from the first go-round when Joshua was. We're only 10 years, but we are still very much in this game. And I, I hope that this week your family, and you've got information on it this week, and and hopefully you'll take up th this challenge. Hopefully you'll have a family conference time. And this week you'll have family prayer time, family preparation time, family presentation. You'll be ready for that. What does that look like? You just get together as a family and you pray and you seek God. What are we to be a part? How are we to be a part of this adventure? God's not just calling us on, but he's calling our church on. Our church on. How will you be a part? That means preparation. That means going in and preparing yourself, looking at every dime. Are you willing to do that arduous but necessary work? Whether we were doing this campaign or not, that needs to happen. That needs to happen it's every six months where you'll go in and do that. And then next week, we're going to have these, and they're back there on the Envision table. We're having a time next week where, where you can come and 
present what your commitment is. You'll just fold it in half. It'll be, it'll be discreet. It'll be anonymous. But it's just one of those things where you as a family can come and present and say, this is where we are skin in the game. And I, you know what? There's, there's so much that I could say about my role, our role, our church's role, our staff leadership's role, and you can't back off of that. We've got to set the bar, leaders. We've got to set the bar. Lead like leaders. But we all need to be leaders in this. Last night I was going to bed and I was reading a chapter of a book called A Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink. I read one statement, and this one statement, every, no- every time I woke up last night, I was thinking about it. I woke up this morning thinking about it. Whenever I could sit here and I could say, or you could say and give all the excuses in the world why I can't give to this campaign or whatever, because I'm so financially strapped, yet we're probably making more than we've ever made in our life. I came across this quote. Now listen to it. The United States spends more on trash bags than 90 other countries spend on everything. In other words, the receptacles of our waste cost more than all the goods consumed by nearly half the world's nations. Do we really have an excuse? I hope that we will take our time today as a prayer time. And I want to call anybody and everybody just to come and pray. And just to say, God, I don't want to live with excuses. I want to live your adventure. Whatever that means for me, let this be a week. Let this be a day where we measure how big God is in our lives. Where we're willing to live an adventure. We're willing to live God's adventure. Would you pray with me? Would you come and pray with me if the Lord leads you?